Hello, and welcome once again to this seance of sound that we call Scry. I am the Seer, your host into this glimpse into the obsidian mirror, and conjurer of true tales of terror and encounters with entities from beyond the veil that separates our world from theirs. Before we get into the stories, though, I first wanted to say thank you for all the feedback that I have received about our last episode. It seems like many of you enjoyed our visit to the Crescent Hotel, and I'll try to get some more of these road trip style type of episodes worked into the mix as my budget and scheduling will allow. So who's ready for a story? Our first tale comes from Slappy Nuts and features a historic home in his town. Let's listen in, shall we? So, there is an old historic house about two miles from where I currently live. I've lived in this town all of my life, and have only heard a few stories about this house. It's a two-story ranch house with the porch on the front, top and bottom floor. I remember asking my aunt a long time ago when I was a kid if she knew anyone that ever lived in the house. It was right across the street from the public pool and was the only thing around back then. She acted pretty jumpy after the question and said she didn't want to tell me because I wasn't old enough to hear it. Can you please tell me? I begged and begged and got her to finally spill the beans. Let me tell you a story. She said back in the day, her best friend lived there. She had gone over to stay the night when she was around 15 years old. Everything was good until it was time to go to bed. They made a pallet downstairs in the living room because her friend told her it was hard to sleep upstairs. And she figured, since it was cold, there wasn't enough heat or something. Right as she was drifting off, A huge thump on the hardwood floor came from upstairs, right above their heads. Then, ten minutes of what she said sounded just like chains dragging across the floor. She said that she almost pissed her jammies. She woke her friend and told her to listen. The girl replied, Oh yeah, That's just the mean old ghosts that live with us. Why do you think we don't go up there? My aunt immediately called my grandmother to come pick her up and waited for her on the street. Fast forward to four years ago. I got a call from a lady that needed her porch leveled. I got the address and guess which house it is. My aunt's story was the first thing that entered my mind. The woman met me outside and I looked at the porch and told her I would be in touch. A week later, I won the bid 
and showed up to start the work. I had four of my guys with me and we finished around 6 p.m. I knocked on the door to tell her and to let her check out the work. She invited me in. The second I stepped through the door, I felt like 500 pounds was placed on my shoulders. Right when you walk in, there is a dirt floor that you step down into with a very small staircase directly in front of you at the back of the entry. The staircase had all kinds of boxes stacked all the way to the ceiling, making it impossible to get up the stairs. It was also the only set in the house to get up there. I asked her how they got up there, and she replied, Oh honey, you don't want to go up there. I asked, why not? And she told me, there are other entities living up there, and they prefer not to be bothered. I almost puked right there in front of her. I quickly finished the conversation and stepped outside. We finished loading everything, quickly, and I had turned to take a picture of the porch. When I pointed the camera at the porch, as I was putting it to my eye, I caught the upstairs window curtain open and close very slowly. One of my guys said, dude, the old lady's checking us out. <laughs> to which I said, she can't get up there. No one can. We got the fuck out of there until this day I will not drive down that road in front of that house. Period. Slappy Nuts, thank you for sharing that story with the world. It certainly makes one wonder just what was upstairs, and I would love to know more of the history of that house. Please let me know if you find out anything more about that location. And while we are on the topic of homes that are listed as historical locations, we will jump to a story shared by Abby Normal, who I'm guessing is a fellow Mel Brooks fan, in which she recounts an experience in an old mansion in her hometown. When I was a young child, my grandparents bought an old mansion in my hometown that they had decided to renovate and restore to its former glory. Fast forward a few years, and my parents had sold their house and we moved into this mansion that my grandparents had purchased for a couple months, as my parents had not yet found a house that they wanted to purchase yet, and they didn't expect our old home to sell so fast on the market. So we move into this old mansion, which was still in the process of being renovated after a number of years. The home was on the National Registry of Historic Landmarks, and to my understanding, this created all sorts of restrictions and specifications for the restoration, 
which was already no small feat. Part of the first floor, including the kitchen and the third floor, had been essentially completed, while the second floor was largely untouched. This mansion was built in the early 1850s, and as a kid, the place made for a pretty awesome place to play, although my parents always had to tell us to quit running around, and to slow down, and to stop acting like little jackasses. My parents' warning had little effect on my brother and I, and we made full use of this grand estate. From sliding down the stairwells, to forcing our way through every nook and cranny in the building as we explored, this massive home became our playground. These nooks and crannies would become important in this story, but I'll get to that in a minute. Our first experiences in this house would be when we went to bed at night. My brother and I would often be woken up to the sounds of footsteps coming up the stairs and making their way down the hallway. This was especially disconcerting because both the hallway and the stairs were visible through our bedroom door and there was never anyone living who came up those steps or roamed the halls at night. It didn't take long before we began shutting the door at bedtime. At least we wouldn't be able to see the nothingness that provided the footsteps and we could pretend that it was our parents. During the day, the house was almost quiet, except for the basement. In the basement, you could swear that you could hear people whispering on occasion, but you could never tell what they were saying. And the shadows, my God, the shadows, they were always there, hanging out in your periphery, only to run off when you looked at them head on. My brother and I both saw them, as did our parents, who had witnessed this nearly any time they went down there to do the laundry. This was a shame for us, as a large portion of the basement had been built as the ultimate 1850s man cave, with a dance floor, a small stage, and a bar, although they all needed some serious repair. Thanks to those damn shadows, we never got the chance to play down there. There was one day where it was storming pretty good outside. So my brother and I were trapped playing inside and likely driving my parents nuts. We decided that we would play hide and seek. We had been playing for a while and once again, it was my turn to hide. Underneath the massive master staircase that led to the second floor was a pretty large closet that my parents had kept some of our boxes in between our moves. I thought that if I could get behind these boxes, I would have a great hiding spot. I struggled my way behind the boxes and waited. I could hear my brother coming down the stairs that were directly above me. 
I tried not to laugh, knowing that he would never find me here. After a few minutes in this spot, I heard a creak behind me and felt a rush of cool air. I shivered as a chill ran up my spine. And that's when I heard it. A voice. It was a man's voice. And he whispered, Quick, in here. I was frozen in fear. This wasn't my dad's voice. I heard the creak behind me again and managed to come to my senses. I said, fuck this noise and crashed my way out of that closet, knocking over boxes and spilling their contents in the process as I burst through the closet door and out into the foyer. Within seconds, my brother came running in, shouting that he found me. But then he saw how pale I was, and we both screamed for our parents. My parents came in, and I told them about what happened. Our dad griped at me about making a mess in the closet, and poked inside to begin cleaning up the mess. Now that the room had light in it, he noticed something different about the closet. The wall that I had been leaning against had moved. It was a hidden doorway that opened to a small room that continued under the stairs. When fully shut, the craftsmanship was outstanding and after nearly 140 years, the door blended in perfectly to its surroundings. Inside the small room was nothing but a small plate and a ragged blanket, both incredibly old. The find was incredibly cool and incredibly terrifying at the same time. Exhilaration began replacing terror but I still wasn't going to walk my ass back in that closet. It would be less than a month later that we moved out of that old mansion and my grandparents would finish restoring it and sold it for a tidy sum. Jumping ahead to just a few years ago, there was a tour of historic homes in my city and the mansion was one of the homes included. On the tour, I learned that during the 1918 Spanish flu epidemic, the house had been used as a makeshift hospital, and quite a few people had died in the home during this time. I think that may have explained the footsteps and the shadows in the basement. The tour guide also pointed out the hidden room in the closet and described how the original owner of the home had been a staunch abolitionist and that the room was believed to be used to hide runaway slaves. I found this comforting and pulled the guide aside when I had a moment and relayed to him my story. We both think that whatever opened that door and whispered to me was trying to offer me a safe space to hide 
much like they had been doing at an important moment in their life when they had to play hide and seek for much higher stakes. I can only hope that they found the freedom they fought to escape to. Abby Normal. That story is incredibly cool, and I want to thank you for sharing that with us. I really love these historic links that can be drawn between some haunted locations with known activities that have occurred in that place's past. For me, it just helps that place feel more alive, figuratively at least. Before we get to the next tale, I would like to make a couple of announcements. First, how would you like a free Scry t-shirt? From now until August 1st, you have the chance to win a Scry t-shirt by simply leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and emailing a screenshot of your review to scrypodcast at gmail.com. On August 1st, I will pick a winner at random and that person will get to pick a shirt of their choosing from the Scry store. There is one catch, however. You must live in a country that T-Public ships to. If they ship to you, you're eligible. Simple as that. Would you like another chance to win a free Scry t-shirt? You would? Excellent. I'm also going to hold another contest during this same time frame. To enter this one, simply submit your true paranormal story to us at scrypod.com, scrypodcast at gmail.com, or leave us a voicemail at 573-203-8668 and share the scare with all of your fellow listeners. Anyone who shares their true supernatural story between now and August 1st and live in a country that T-Public ships to is eligible to win. And finally, after a bit of joking around with Paola from Undercover Coven, I've decided to add a new segment to each episode, just to lighten things up a bit between our creepy tales. I have decided that on each episode, I will now do a curse of the week, where I will place a curse on a person of your choosing. I'm not going to do any public figures or anything like that. This is simply a way to give your friends a hard time and is meant in good fun. So let me know on social media who you would like to have cursed, and I'll pick someone and place a curse on them on the show for each and every episode. We'll get back to our terrifying true tales in just a moment, but first, a word from our sponsor. Welcome back to Scry. So how do those contests sit with you? Let's get back into the scary stories that brought you here in the first place, shall we? Our next tale comes from Sour Power, in which he and a friend would experience something unsettling while on a hunting trip. Here is his tale. 
1984, I was deer hunting on a large tract of private land several miles from Rifle, Colorado, in the Picayuance Creek area. About five narrow canyons converged on our camp. A topographical map would look like the camp was the center of a wheel, and the canyons were like spokes. We scouted before the opening day, teamed up, and designated a team for each canyon. On opening morning, way before daylight, my hunting buddy and I drove up our canyon as far as we thought we could get without getting stuck, about a quarter of a mile. We were in an old 1978 Jeep Grand Wagoneer with all the hubs locked in and chains attached with baling wire. The canyon was about 50 yards wide at most, and the snow was several inches deep. A blizzard had come through the week before. It was nearly a full moon, and with the snow, it was almost bright enough to read by. My buddy was driving. He shut off the motor and would start it back up every so often to run the heater causing the windows to fog. We sat and talked until we talked ourselves out and then sat in silence and waited for the sun to come up. There was already a glow over the easterly canyon. My hunting buddy said, Shit, somebody's coming up our canyon. We all had agreed on hunting their assigned canyons. I glanced back through the rear window and saw what appeared to be a headlight, or headlights, circling close to the ground at the base of our canyon. It almost gave the impression of a dog circling and sniffing. Then, they started up the canyon behind us. I figured they would see our taillights and realize they were in the wrong canyon, but they kept coming. My next thought was there must be some kind of emergency, so we settled in to wait. It took them a while to make it up to us because of the snow and the rough terrain. As they pulled up on our rear bumper, their light flooded very brightly through our frosted rear window. Then, they shut off their light, so we got out to see what they wanted. Up till this point, nothing about this event seemed even slightly unusual until we walked back and discovered that there was no vehicle, no people, and as we could see all the way to the base of the canyon, because of the bright night, there were no tracks in the snow but ours. There was hardly any place to turn around, and it would have taken several minutes to turn and reverse direction or back down. We got back in the Jeep, loaded the magazines of our rifles, and waited for the sun to come up. My buddy was wild eyed and breathing hard. 
I didn't feel fear, just total confusion. When the sun came up, it was a beautiful clear day and we hunted and kind of put the light out of our minds until that night at dinner. He felt like he had to ask if anybody came up our canyon. I knew not to ask. The answer was hell no. I figured that an explanation of what happened would just pop into my head one day. But years later, it seems even weirder now than it did then. It's my belief that if you spend enough time in the outdoors, sooner or later, you're liable to experience things that have no explanation. The American Indians were firm believers. They are very intelligent people and I don't think they are just superstitious. I think they are attuned and observant. Sour Power. That is an awesome story. And like you, I think that the Native Americans held a certain understanding of the natural world that many of us don't comprehend today. Thank you for that story. While we are on the subject of the natural world, let's listen into this experience from Raged Racer 1977, in which he would have an eerie occurrence while camping. When I was single, I used to work for this veterinary lab and I had four-day work weeks. I got 21 days of vacation a year, which we could schedule on the company computer, and they got approved regardless of what the supervisor thought. So I scheduled myself four-day weekends every other week. I would go out and camp for four days every other week by myself and just find some out-of-the-way place and disappear to explore, etc. I took food and water, but I tried to kill as much as I could and survive on that. In other words, I spent a shitload of time in the backcountry of Arizona and I thought that I had seen it all. One trip, I was cruising down an old dirt road that was somewhat on a ridge. I saw a small road that went off to the right. I decided to take it. It curved around and went probably 400 feet vertical from the main road. At the bottom was a place where a spring came out of the ground and made a nice little swimming hole. It was kind of in a little ravine. The water was beautiful, crystal clear. I mean crystal. It was probably 10 to 12 feet deep and you could see every pebble on the bottom. It was also probably around 30 feet in diameter also noticeable was that there was no trash. Nothing. It was completely and totally pristine. 
kind of odd for the area. So I set up camp, which consisted of a one-man A-style tent and a sleeping bag. I went swimming for a while and the water was great. After that, I wandered around a while and killed a couple rabbits for dinner. I started a fire and I cooked them up, read a little, and then turned in. At some point, in the middle of the night, I woke up. Odd, because I never wake up at night. I'd laid there for a minute listening, but didn't hear anything. Then, I heard a little shuffling sound. Damn it. I was sure a coyote or something had come in and was eating the waste from my rabbit. I really slowly and quietly unzipped the bag, grabbed my pistol, and untied the tent flaps, pretty excited as I was going to get to shoot a coyote. When I looked out, there was nothing. The moon was very bright. Nothing was hiding. Of course, I was looking low. Then, I heard a very small splash. I looked at the water and didn't see anything but ripples. I then looked up. I swear on my life that I saw a head and eyes 20 feet up in the air. It wasn't human, but it was very close. I blinked, and it was gone. I got out of the tent, figuring I was seeing leaves in the tree branch or something. Just an odd shadow. Except there was no tree there. I decided I was just seeing things, and went back to bed. In the morning, when I woke up, I was in for a shock. I found footprints in the sand and dirt. Not animal prints, not shoe prints, footprints. And not only were my rabbit leftovers gone, but so was my fire ring. It was as if I had never had a fire at all. I never even noticed in the night and had just assumed that it went out. But it was like it never was. No ash, no coals, no rocks, nothing. As I was looking around, I realized something else was wrong. Well, not wrong, but missing. I had walked all over the place. I had driven in. My shoe prints were not there. My tire tracks were not there. It was as if my truck had been airlifted in. I'll say I was a little freaked out. The spot where I saw the head and eyes was in the middle of the air. There was nothing 20 feet high in that direction for hundreds of yards. 
I packed up my shit and I left. I went and found another place to camp. I went back to that area several times in the years since, and I can't find the road. I know exactly where it was. It's just not there. I don't know if I was never meant to find it or what. Whatever it was that came into my camp didn't mess with me, but it let me know that I wasn't welcome. It let me know by erasing any changes I had made. I suppose I'm lucky it didn't erase me. Thank you, Raged Racer 1977, for sharing that story. That is certainly creepy. Perhaps some sort of elemental or nature spirit was not pleased with your trespassing in its domain. Or possibly, it was something else that was behind your frightful encounter. Something that remains unknown. And with that, it is once again time to close the gate and end this seance of sound. Remember, all stories on Scry are purported to be true. Don't forget to share your scare at scrypod.com, scrypodcast at gmail.com, or at 573-203-8668 for a chance to win a free Scry t-shirt. Thank you to those who've shared their stories thus far. And thank you to Mew and Shadow Vibe, whose music appears in segments of this episode through a Creative Commons license. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to these fantastic artists. Speaking of fantastic artists, check out Dispatches of Disassociation, our podcast recommendation of the week. This podcast focuses on the romantic exchanges of two individuals and those that know them during the coronavirus quarantine, and does so in hilarious fashion. It's got it all. Great writing, great acting, toilet paper fights, and secrets still to come. So check out Dispatches of Disassociation wherever you listen to podcasts. But for now... We must close the gate, and as always, say goodbye. This is Scry.